We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, we're recording this episode on Tuesday, March 30th. Um, bit of an interesting period here in the offseason. We're kind of in that third wave of free agency right now where there's not a lot going on in terms of the NFL aspect of things. But when we look at the draft here, there's a lot of pro days going on, and that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're actually recording uh, during the pro day of Justin Fields down there at Ohio State, so a lot of exciting stuff um, from that that hopefully we can go back and watch once we're done recording here. But, uh, yeah, you say, how you doing today, man? I am doing well, man. Speaking of pro days, the Bears actually have Ryan Pace and I believe it's the director of college scouting, Josh Lucas, at the Alabama Pro Day, according to NBC Sports' Adam Hogue. So it's interesting because I think when we talk about these quarterbacks in the pro days, right, not to get too off topic here, it's just like you have Alabama going on and Ohio State on the same day. So to see how the Bears have kind of split things up, because we don't know where Matt Nagy's at. Is he at Alabama or is he at Ohio State? We don't know that. It's interesting because they're certainly taking a different approach to evaluating drafts or evaluating quarterback prospects in this draft. And then you have Kellen Mond's pro day at Texas A&M right now, which is going on as we speak as well. So lots of quarterback related stuff for the bears today, but how are you? 
Yeah, doing good. Absolutely. You know, you talk about all the craziness with quarterbacks here. It's interesting that uh, they would have that much of a presence at the Alabama Pro Day. It's kind of interesting because Alabama, this is their second Pro Day, actually. So Max Jones, he's already had a chance to throw once. Now he's getting to do it again. So pretty interesting there. I would assume that since they have, you know, I don't know if this is a report or not, you know, whether they have anybody at the Ohio State, maybe it's something where uh, they assume if they don't have anybody there to watch Justin Fields that maybe they don't think they're going to be in range to draft the Justin Fields. But, you know, who knows at this point, it's like maybe they won't be in range for Mac Jones because I think the big news uh, that's that's come up in, in the last week or so in terms of the NFL and the draft as a whole is the big trade that happened a few a few days ago with uh, the San Francisco 49ers moving up from 12 all the way to three with the Miami Dolphins uh, sending three first-round picks, including uh, their first-round pick this year, and a third-round pick uh, that's a compensatory pick uh, that the 49ers got. I think it's a future pick, actually, for that. So sending that to the Dolphins in exchange for the number three overall pick, and, I mean, they've made it known down over there in San Francisco. They are drafting a quarterback. It's just a matter of who at this point. Right, drafting quarterback and who's it going to be. You have that third overall pick because, let's be honest, all the smoke and all the news that's kind of come out just over the last couple of days is this, right? And it's no secret, obviously, because we know Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one overall. You know, number two overall, the Jets are going to go with Zach Wilson. And if you missed the news tidbit, there was a tidbit saying that there's actually a possibility that the Jets hold on to Sam Darnold and draft Zach Wilson with the second overall pick. So that's something that is on the table as well right now. And then you look at that third overall pick. So the 49ers, right? The ideal pick for them would be Justin Fields, but knowing Mac Jones, knowing Kyle Shanahan, knowing John Lynch, right? And Kyle Shanahan's at Mac Jones' second Alabama Pro Day, by the way, right? San Francisco could possibly take Mac Jones at third overall, which would then go ahead and just throw the entire draft process or the entire just first round, especially for the quarterbacks into a era of like, or uh, just a couple moments of craziness there. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what goes down with that pick. And then you look at it from Miami's perspective. I mean, you move back three slots, you get additional draft capital. All right. And then they also facilitated a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Where the Eagles, I believe are picking at um, 12th overall now, right? But the point is, is that these trades, you look at them and you look at the draft order and you realize, okay, there is so many different, forget the quarterbacks for a second. There's so many different ways the board could fall because Atlanta at fourth overall is a team that could trade out or decide to draft the quarterback. Cincinnati, Miami, and Detroit, I mean, five, six, and seven, they're probably not taking quarterbacks. At eighth overall, you have Carolina. What if they take a quarterback? You know, ninth overall, the Broncos, another team that has a quarterback, in Drew Locke, but they're not totally confident in him. And so ultimately, you know, you look at this one simple trade between San Francisco and Miami, and it's kind of just completely shaken up the top 10 to the point where I think we will see a non-quarterback prospect have a fall in this year's draft simply because of this trade. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, you know, with the Dolphins moving up then back to six, like you mentioned, they have to have somebody in mind that they're targeting here at that pick because I don't think you'd give up a future first round pick, which is what they did to move up from 12 to six, unless they are going after somebody specific here, you know, whether it's Kyle Pitts um, at tight end, whether they think they can get Panay Sewell at that spot, which I, I find highly unlikely considering that's the Bengals biggest need right now. 
um, at the fifth overall selection. Maybe they, they're going after a wide receiver such, such as Jamar Chase or, uh, you know, Jalen Waddle could be an option there. Just a lot of options there. So it kind of confuses me why the Dolphins would do that after, you know, getting all that, those first round picks, I guess, you know, since they have so many of them that they can afford to give up on some of them, but um, kind of curious decision there. It depends on who they end up targeting there, I guess, is we'll determine that, but a great move for them anyway, because you know that, you know, with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, you know, they have to build around their quarterback somehow. So getting extra, extra draft picks from the third overall spot, they can get a bunch of draft capital. This is a deep offensive line class, so they can build up their offensive line now with some of these other picks here. So, um, I think that's a great move for them overall uh, when you look at this thing in totality here. But the 49ers, like you said, this could really shake up the draft because three quarterbacks are definitely going to be going in the first three picks. Like you mentioned, I, I think Atlanta is in probably the best spot out of all these teams in the top five, the top ten now um, in terms of trading back and getting more draft assets. Because if, if I'm Atlanta, if I'm not drafting a quarterback this year, you know, one of these top four guys, I'm trying to trade back and get as much draft capital as possible because their defense needs a lot of work. They are an older team right now. They are tied up against the cap. They need younger talent there. And, you know, if they're looking to maximize the last few years of Matt Ryan's career here, you know, getting some more talent to fix that defense could really be something to benefit them, I think, going forward here with the new coaching staff. So if you're Atlanta, I would be, unless they're drafting a quarterback, which is very possible here, um, I'd be very disappointed in them if they were to stay at number four and just pick somebody. I think it would be very wise for them to trade back, get some extra draft picks, and and try and reload that roster a little bit. So um, I'm interested to see what they do there. But San Francisco really is – it's really interesting here because they are making it known that they think their roster is ready to, to win now. Uh, it seems like you know they're going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo regardless – um this season to kind of be that bridge quarterback for them while they get this rookie ready to go and like you said you know you're looking at probably trevor lawrence and zach wilson going one and two you know who's that open up for you because if it's me personally if i'm giving up three draft first round draft picks to go up and get a quarterback it wouldn't be uh mac jones in this scenario and that's been rumored quite a bit i mean chris sims um former quarterback and currently an analyst um who's actually been you know done a good job scouting quarterbacks over the last few years uh, if you look at some of his rankings they've been pretty accurate in the past but he's been known to be a big mac jones fan um in this draft class and he said that you know a few days ago when this trade was made that you know the general or i think it was daniel jeremiah who said this but uh basically the general feeling around the nfl right now is that the 49ers are going to draft mac jones at that third selection which is just it's interesting to me because i can kind of see you know, from the perspective of the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, where he's worked with Kirk Cousins in the past, he's worked with Matt Ryan in the past, you know, Mac Jones does share some similarities to those two quarterbacks. So I could see, you know, why he would like the, you know, some of those traits that he has and relate them to Cousins and Matt Ryan in terms of being a, a solid pocket passer, good accuracy, uh, efficient going through his progressions and making those reads there, uh, very smart with the football. I could definitely see a lot of uh, traits that kind of reminds that could remind Shanahan of those two quarterbacks but I mean it just it makes no sense to me to give up all that draft capital and go up for a guy like Mike Jones who just has a limited upside he, he would have to be going for somebody I think with a higher upside here the quarterback I honestly think that Shanahan and the 49ers are targeting here would be Trey Lance because you look at Trey Lance he's kind of like a blank slate at the quarterback position you got Jimmy Garoppolo under contract for another two years here 
you know, that kind of gives you a perfect situation where you can give Trey Lance a chance to sit and develop a little bit, work on his mechanics that need some work, um, work on getting, you know, some of his processing, decision-making, get that fine-tuned a little bit, even though he's pretty good at that, um, and get his accuracy up to speed a little bit because, you know, the arm talent, the physical tools are all there for Trey Lance. It's just a matter of him getting reps and getting experience a little bit. Um, you know, going to the 49ers in that system where, you know, North Dakota State kind of runs a similar system to what they do in San Francisco. I mean, I almost see that as a perfect fit. And, you know, I personally think that's the direction they're going to go when it's all said and done. Yeah. So I want to go, I want to go back to Atlanta here because it's an interesting team because they have, they hired Arthur Smith this year as your new head coach. So they're going to go in an offensive direction after like six seasons of a defensive direction with Dan Campbell. And again, they made the Super Bowl once and lost, but you look at it. I mean, they have Matt Ryan on the roster. They have Julio Jones. They have Calvin Ridley. All right. They have Hayden Hurst. They have a pretty decent offensive core. Just the issue has been that core has not kind of put it all together. But the reason I think the Falcons are going to trade out of the fourth overall pick here is because look at Matt Ryan's contract numbers. They're not moving on from him in 2021 because his dead cap hit is $65.4 million. The following year, that decreases to $40.5 million in 2022. And his contract runs through 2023. So I think if you're the Falcons, what you have to do is kind of say, it's just best for us to trade out of this spot right here and get as much draft capital as we can, because they need to start planning for a post Matt Ryan era. And then you look at Mac Jones in San Francisco, you know, you're right. These similarities are definitely there between a guy like Matt Ryan or a guy like Kirk cousins, for example, but we also have to keep something in mind is San Francisco. They brought back the best left tackle in the game, in my opinion, in Trent Williams this year to beef up that offensive line. And they've invested in that offensive line over the last couple of years because they drafted guys like Mike McGlinchey, right? A couple other names as well. So San Francisco right now, they have a rock solid offensive line in front of them, which is also one of the reasons that they were actually able to go to the Super Bowl a few years ago. So I really think when it's all said and done, right, what's going to happen is Mac Jones is going to be the third overall pick. And again, for us covering the Bears, we've seen crazier things happen. And then those things just set off like a or firework effect in the NFL draft and then teams start scrambling and they just move up to get their guy but I think that yeah Mac Jones is kind of having a bad pro day today but I do think that there's a solid chance he goes third overall because we also have to keep in mind is when you're drafting players right and you're adding players to your roster it's not just about well we need this guy we have a need at this position so we're just going to go ahead and bring in any safety or any cornerback or any quarterback whatever the case may be we are going to bring in guys who specifically fit what we're trying to build. And right now, I think that if Mac Jones fits what the 49ers are trying to do, which it's very apparent he does, then they're probably going to have him rated much higher compared to a guy like Trey Lance. Yeah, I get the scheme fit aspect of, of things here with Mac Jones. It's just, I guess the way I'm wired here, you know, if you're giving up that much draft capital, why not go for the guy with the upside? It's not like, Here's the way I see it. It's not like, you know, Trey Lance and Justin Fields don't fit the San Francisco, I mean, San Francisco offense because, I mean, you look at that offense, you know, Kyle Shanahan, it's all play action, bootleg, moving the pocket a little bit, um, designed easy, quick, quick reads for the quarterback, uh, scheming receivers open on crossing routes and getting them uh, the ball in space to get yards after the catch. 
you know, there isn't a lot of, it's not like, you know, an Andy Reid, Matt Nagy type of offense where you're asking the quarterback to, you know, do a lot of mental processing post-snap to make the correct read there and find the right guy. There's not a lot of that going on with San Francisco. They simplify things very much easily for uh, your quarterback there. Um, so, you know, Mac Jones, I think he would be able to execute that offense perfectly um, to a very high level. And, you know, I could see him being an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo, certainly. But how much of an upgrade is there? You know, how much more of a ceiling does he have over a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who, you know, is not a terrible starting quarterback by any means. He's probably a middle-of-the-pack starter at this point, a good game-managing guy in the 15 to 20 uh, range for quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So, you know, how much of an upside does he, does Mac Jones really have over that? Because Mac Jones, I think at his best, again, like I said, I think at his best, you're probably looking at a Kirk Cousins type of guy, a guy who's in the 12 to 15 range of quarterbacks there, who's solid, good starter, runs your system efficiently. You know, you're you're not like throwing anything out of the playbook because Mac Jones is your starter. You can run your entire playbook, run your entire system. And really it comes down to the talent around him and, and how your game planning is. Um, on, a, on a week-to-week basis on whether your, your talents or whether your team can win games or not, you know, but can you win games because of Mac Jones? And that's a, the main question I have here because we've seen in San Francisco that Kyle Shanahan, he can win games despite his quarterback. He can just, he can win games with an average quarterback there, but there are instances there where the offensive scheme isn't working well, where the, the running game isn't quite, um, you know, on fire, so to speak, and they're not getting huge chunks of the running game on a consistent basis. And the quarterback does need to go out there and win the game for them. And there's not, haven't been able to do that. So is Mac Jones, that type of guy that can go outside of structure. Um, and you know, if there is a bad play call, can he make up for a bad play call and make that play a positive? You know, I just don't personally see that in him. So I think it would make more sense to go with Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields, but if they go with a Mac Jones, I mean, Hey, I'm not going to question Kyle Shanahan's football acumen too much. I think he knows the type of quarterback he needs for his system, but um, it would be surprising to me. And it would be, I wouldn't say surprising to me, but I would be very disappointed in that decision for the 49ers. If that's the case, just um, from, from my view of things. All right. Uh, Enough of quarterback talk. We have uh, some talk with the defensive side of the ball today. When you look at this 2021 NFL draft, specifically looking at the cornerback position, continuing our, position preview last week we covered the safety position gave you guys some insight on some of the big names in this upcoming safety class for the 2021 nfl draft well now we're shifting over to the cornerback room so some of the best names uh, to keep a lookout when the bears will ultimately ultimately need to draft a cornerback in this draft after the release of kyle fuller so uh we're going to get to that right away here with our top five cornerbacks in this class soon but before we get to that It's time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your own podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks on top of that we'll help you get your show pushed out to apple spotify google stitcher and all other listening platforms and the best part is you can get all of this for only 15 dollars a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup 
So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over uh, our top five quarterbacks here in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. And you said, I'll start with off with you. Who are your top five guys here for uh, this class? Top five. So I've got number one is Patrick Sertain, the second from Alabama. I think this is a player whose physical upside on tape is very prevalent. All right. He is very disciplined. And then football's in his DNA, Andrew. I mean, he played against or his father played, he's played against some of the best competition in the country against Alabama, but his dad was also a cornerback for the Dolphins as well as the Kansas City Chiefs. I think when we look at Sertain, right, he's going to be best on the perimeter simply due to his length, and he's great in man coverage. Number two, I've got Caleb Farley from Virginia, and this is a guy who's really only a two-year starter at the cornerback position because his Background includes playing wide receiver as well as cornerback in high school and in college. But for a guy who's six foot two, 197 pounds, it seems like he's been playing the cornerback position his entire life. Physicality is there. The length is there. His ball production is great as well with 19 pass breakups in two years. And then you have another number three. I've got another guy that is the former son of a former NFL draft prospect or NFL player, I should say. But J.C. Horn from South Carolina, who throughout his time at South Carolina, J.C. Horn brings versatility because he's played in the slot. He's played on the outside. All right. The size is there. He's physical. All right. He's super disruptive at the catch point. And he had 23 pass breakups and seven tackles for loss between a three year period. Right. And then number four, local kid from Chicago right here. Greg Newsome, all right? He is very physical. He's got the athleticism, reacts very quickly to what's being thrown at him. And then he's effective in both man and press coverage, right? And then number five, I've got a guy that's actually met with the Bears in Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. He can be effective on the perimeter or be effective both in the slot, all right? He's very sticky in man coverage. But Samuel Jr. does need to be much better or get much better and be more effective when it comes to playing in zone coverage. Yeah. I think the first thing that stands out for me uh, with this class is definitely that if you need a, you know, starting outside corner, um, specifically someone that can press and, and uh, you know, disrupt the timing of your wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, this is the type of class for you, especially in the first round, because, you know, I think I have five first round corners, um, you know, for this class, and they're all the same names that you have there. So our top threes are the exact same, Sertan, Farley, and Horn is our, is our top three here. Um, and then my number four is actually Asante Samuel Jr. Um, number five is Greg Newsom. So, um, you know, like you said, Sertan, he's pretty much the complete package for what you want from a press cornerback, you know, at six foot two, you know, he's got great length. He's very physical at the line of scrimmage. But despite being tall, I think he's got very fluid hips to kind of change direction and mirror wide receivers there. So, um, and, and you can just tell that you know, he's being coached under Nick Saban. So he's going to be smart, well-coached, and very disciplined. So you know what you're getting off out of Patrick Sertan? I think he's the safest cornerback in this draft class um, by a pretty wide margin. But the next two guys, Caleb Farley and J.C. Horner, there's been a lot of debate about who is the better cornerback from, between these two guys. And 
is very interesting because I can see both, uh, you know, being drafted over the other when it's all said and done here. You know, when you look at Horn, he really blew up at his uh, pro day. Um, his relative athletic score was, you know, one of the best in this class. I don't know the exact number on my, off my memory, but uh, he had a very impressive pro day in terms of uh, everything there. Um, the thing that kind of bothers me about Horn is that he does have a tendency to get a little bit too grabby um, at times, which will lead to holding penalties at the NFL level. There are going to be a lot more um, referees are a lot more uh, ticky tacky with holding penalties for defensive backs in the NFL compared to college and college. You can get away with a few more things. I feel like in the NFL, they're going to, they're going to throw the flag a little bit more on, on some of those things. Um, but Horn, he might be, in my opinion, the best uh, press cornerback in this draft, in this draft class with his physicality and his ball skills. Um, you know, off coverage, he does have some issues for me um, in terms of his reaction time there. But it's interesting because, you know, Caleb Farley, while I think in terms of just the on-field evaluation, uh, he's probably the best cornerback in this class when you're just looking at everything on tape. But, you know, the injury thing, uh, the, the injury questions with Farley are going to be fascinating because this is a guy that, you know, you mentioned early in, the, in our podcast here that we could see a position player fall in the draft due to all the quarterback movement up top. But, you know, I could see Farley being one of those guys that does fall a little bit in this draft class, because while I think he has top 10 level talent, um, the injury history, man, it, it is worrisome a little bit because, you know, he had an ACL injury in 2017. Um, you know, he had in injury issues in 2019, I believe as well. And you look at it here, you know, he opted out of the 2020 season you know, how rusty is he going to be coming off a year where he didn't play at all? And, you know, it's not like he's been healthy during the offseason either. He's had, he's had some injury issues in the offseason too. So uh, Farley could be a bit of a risk there. Between those two, you know, who do you think kind of work? How do you think this will play out in terms of who gets drafted first between those two? Because I do think those are the definitive, you know, second and third cornerback in this draft class for sure. It's tough to say right now, but if I was – if I had to put something on it, right, I would probably say that Farley would go ahead and be first. Just, I think that it would depend on, if you look at the draft, right, you're looking at the way the teams line up. A team like the Broncos, let's say, I mean, let's just say they want to add a cornerback. I mean, they would definitely go ahead and value a guy like Farley because as we've seen, Vic Fangio wants long cornerbacks, right? But then you have someone like Horn, for example, who I think could – also, because of he's played, you know, both in the slot and on the outside. I mean, he's a guy that I think would um could get drafted high as well. But he also brings physicality. But if I had to bet, I would say that Farley's drafted first. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, I, like I said, Farley might have the best tape in this class at the cornerback position. But, uh, you know, with his history there, with the durability concerns you know, will teams be scared off by that? It's kind of the big thing there, but let's look at these number four and five guys here, because this is where it gets pretty interesting as well. Cause you have Greg Newsom above Asante Samuel and Asante Samuel for those who obviously don't know. I mean, he's obviously the son of four, former cornerback Asante Samuel who played for the Patriots for a long time, had a great career in the NFL. Um, you know, what I like about Samuel personally, you say it is, you know, he's undersized a little bit, 5'10", 180 pounds about, um, can play inside or outside at the next level, but he's extremely quick and fluid. So if you're looking for a guy strictly in man coverage, kind of alluded to this already, 
if you're looking for a guy to strictly be a man corner in this class, Samuel might be the best man-to-man cover corner here because, I mean, look at his ball production. Uh, he only has played, I believe, 20 games over the last two years, I believe. Um, but he had 20 passes deflections in that time and four interceptions in that time. So he's very active around the ball in man coverage. Like you said, though, the instincts and his recognition in zone does need a little bit of work. But he's been somebody that's been talked about for a while there um, as being a first-round talent at the quarterback position. You know, if you're a team looking for a man-to-man scheme there or if you're looking for a guy that can maybe, uh, if you emphasize, you know, slot cornerback very highly in your scheme, you know, I could I would say that the Bears, they value a slot cornerback very highly in their scheme because you look at the value that a Bryce Callahan brought when he was healthy in Chicago, um, they – paid pretty decent money to go get Buster Screen in their defense there. You know, Sam was the type of guy that is kind of perfect for that type of role because he can man up in the slot there. He's not afraid to take on the challenge of bigger receivers. And he's so quick and fluid that it kind of, uh, it's really tough to get quick separation on him. Yeah, Stateville Jr. is going to be very interesting because I think that, well, this is a very deep cornerback class, right? And so for me, I think that in any given year, if this was not a year where we had a strong offensive line class and a strong wide receiver class, I think that we would see probably three or four cornerbacks selected in round one. And to me, Samuel Jr., I think, is a guy, considering the circumstances surrounding this draft class, like I just mentioned, he's going to be a guy that's going to be available there in the second round. And you look at, you mentioned this, right, the slot cornerback for the Bears. I think when we look at Samuel Jr., Someone that has played on the inside has also played on the outside. And the Bears have options at slot cornerback with like Duke Shelley and Kendall Wilder. But I seriously say this right now that those other two guys were late round picks. They were day three picks. Samuel Jr. though, I think that he's going to be good enough to come in and start on the inside on day one. And then just transition to the outside starting in 2022. Yeah, I, I could see that playing out as well. It's also tough because slot cornerback is a tough position uh, to learn for some of these younger cornerbacks. So that's why you see a lot of veterans uh, get a lot of playing time in that slot position. It can take some guys. It, it's tough because you go, if you're going from a boundary cornerback where you had the sideline to protect you a little bit um, on the outside there, it makes things a little bit easier for cornerbacks on the outside. You know, in the slot, wide receivers can go either which way on you and to get open. So it kind of, it, it does create some issues there. But Samuel, if there's a guy here who can be an impact starter in the slot right away, I think Samuel is the type of guy to look look at there because uh, he does have the type of talent to be effective there right away. And then Greg Newsom, he's kind of been uh, interesting because Newsom's been a bit of a late riser. It feels like in, in this draft cycle, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Georgia cornerbacks. I and mean, you look at Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell being talked about as first round prospects. But Greg Newsom, he's really shout out draft boards here we both like him quite a bit like you said athletic long smooth instinctual type of player you know i think he's a full package on the field you know personally watching him play i think he'd be perfect for a Vic Fangio type of scheme um in a zone heavy defense like the bears on the perimeter there where he can press he can play a little bit of off you can kind of disguise his intentions before the snap and um he's just very very solid in terms of his his discipline and, and handling his responsibilities the thing that does worry me me about him, though, is kind of similar to Farley, is the fact that he's never completed a full season um, in college whatsoever. Never, never played a full season, whether it's been due to opting out or injuries or whatever. 
um, hasn't happened yet. So durability is a bit of, of a concern for me with Greg Newsom. Um, and that's a big thing for just cornerbacks in general. These guys are smaller players, obviously. They're going to get small injuries here and there. And so you're going to need depth at that cornerback position. So uh, Newsom, I, I think he's a first-round talent on tape. It's just a matter of you know how teams view his medicals going into this thing. Newsom's very interesting because I think you mentioned him being a guy that's really shot up draft boards. I mean, it's interesting because when you just look at the makeup of this draft class overall, we knew going into the year that there were guys like Sertain and J.C. Horn. Even Asante Samuel Jr. was a really hot name to go ahead and keep an eye on. But I think that Newsom has shot up draft boards. He is going to be a um, mid to late first round pick, definitely an early second round pick here. I mean, the ball production, like I mentioned earlier, is definitely there, but just him not playing a full season. And I get the Northwestern's in the Big Ten. I get they had a shortened season. I mean, they only played like seven or eight games in 2020, but him not playing a full season, you're right, it is a red flag because, again, it takes some of these cornerbacks a year or two to really get adjusted and realize their full potential. And so with Newsom, I think that all the pieces to the puzzle are there. It's just, can he be consistent? Can he consistently stay on the field at the next level to get the reps that he needs to realize his full potential? Yeah, I don't think there are any concerns about uh, Newsom on the field. I mean, coming from Northwestern program under Pat Fitzgerald there, you know that he's going to be well coached. You know he's going to play physical. Uh, you know he's going to bring, you know, that lunch pail work ethic there um, that, you know, Fitzgerald emphasizes at Northwestern. So, I feel confident about Greg Newsom on the field, but yeah, the, the durability does um, does worry me a little bit. Same with Caleb Farley, um, but you know, if I'm the Bears and I need a cornerback here, and let's say they decide to go in a dis- in a direction other than tackle in the first round of quarterback, I mean, I would take either of those two um, in the first round for sure because um, you can never have too many quarterbacks, and they need quarterback help, which we'll get to later in the podcast. So. I mean, some other teams that are going to be involved here, I think. You look at the Cowboys are definitely going to be looking to draft a quarterback. The Arizona Cardinals are probably going to look to draft a quarterback. Maybe the Raiders could be involved. You know, we know like the you know, we know that Bill Belichick, he loves to uh, stock up on quarterbacks, and they're not in love with keeping um, God, what's his name? Stefan Gilmore um, long term, it seems like there. So Patriots could be in play for another cornerback. So uh, there are a lot, a lot of teams, the Bills, the Packers. You know, lots of teams are going to be looking for quarterback help here. So uh, I think all five of these guys are going to be gone by the end of, of the first round. So if you're the Bears and you're looking to get a quarterback first to address a need there, first round is the place to address it if you're looking at these guys specifically. Definitely. But I think when we look at the Bears, right, like, so, well, there's a handful of teams that do need cornerbacks, right? But I just think that with a lot of the movement that we're going to see with some other positions, because again, like tackle is something, right? Like your tackles, your wide receivers, right? Um, You could even argue with tight end being as deep of a class as it is, as well as some other positions like linebacker, because linebacker does have some guys that should be drafted on day one. I think that you are going to see some of these cornerbacks slip. Now I will say this though, right? That means that similar to what we saw last year, right? Some of these guys are going to slip, but they're going to end up being really good day one starters, right? Like Jalen Johnson's one guy, all right? Should have been a first round talent, but something like injury or durability issues kind of held him back. And then he slips to the second round, but had a pretty solid year one for a guy who played at Utah. So I think ultimately, right? Like 
I had to say right now, I would probably say we see two of these guys get drafted in the first round, and your prime spot to land a cornerback in this draft is going to be the second round as well as um, the third round. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of second and third round talents at the Cormac position, this is a pretty deep class as a whole, I think. So let's look at some of our, you know, sleeper talents here for this draft class. And you said, I'll start with you. Who is your number one sleeper here uh, for this cornerback class? My number one guy is Elijah Molden from Washington as a sleeper. You see the athleticism on tape. You can write off the sides as a red flag. You can say, all right, maybe the size is an issue. He's 5'11", 191 pounds. I think what has to happen is this for a guy who's played in the slot. He's just got to add on like six or seven more pounds of actual muscle and he should be good to go. Right. He can be someone that I think could play on the perimeter at the next level or exclusively be just a slot cornerback for a very long time in the NFL. What I really like about Elijah Molden is that he always knows what the quarterback is doing. So he's a very smart player. All right. But the biggest issue with him overall is just long speed. All right. Is he going to be able to keep up with some of these faster players as the play progresses in the NFL? Is he going to be able to do that? Or is this going to be the type of player that is good against those short and intermediate routes, but on those deep shots that offenses are going to take totally ends up getting beat. Yeah, Molden's a fun player to watch. Like you said, the size is a bit of an issue, but if you get him in the right role, I think a lot of teams are going to like uh, what they find out of him as a nickel corner um, in the NFL. And, and like I said before, nickel corners are becoming more and more important there. So Molden's a guy that maybe he may slip a little bit down people's draft boards because of his size, but I think getting him on day two in like the third round would be a very good value for a guy that can be a very, very valuable player in the nickel there. Uh, for for a slot cornerback, uh, my cornerback here, my sleeper here, is a guy that I drafted in my mock draft actually um, that we did earlier in the off season here, and and that's Shamar Jean Charles out of Appalachian State. He's been a consistent mock for me um, in the fifth sixth round um, as a cornerback prospect there, and you know this is a player that I like his length and I like his quickness underneath. You know he's a bit undersized in terms of the fact that you know, I think he's he's about six feet tall, but he kind of has a lengthy, uh, skinny frame on him. He's going to need to bulk up a little bit at the NFL level if you want to press a little bit. But I think he, he can definitely get there with some work in an NFL weight room. Um, you know, but where his best skill set is at is in off coverage, where he can read the eyes of the quarterback um, and really charge hard downfield to make plays on the ball there. You know, he has the capability to mirror wide receivers in man-to-man. But I think he's at his best in a zone scheme, similar to what the Bears are going to be running here under Sean Desai. I think he's perfect for cover three, cover four, keep his eye on, eyes on the quarterback, uh, jump routes, make plays on the balls. His his uh, play style is actually kind of similar to Kyle Fuller's. It's just that Kyle Fuller obviously has you know a much bigger, more physical frame to him. Shamar Gene Charles is going to have to add that, um, obviously coming from a smaller school against uh, 
you know, smaller competition, but there's a lot to like about his game. And when you look at some of the coverage metrics that were tracked for him this offseason, for this last season, I should say, I mean, I believe that he allowed a, he had a higher forced incompletion rate uh, than his uh, completion percentage given up this past season, which is very tough to do. Um, that was according to PFF, by the way. So um, this is a guy that is very active, making plays on the ball. He doesn't give up a lot of completions. Uh, just a very solid, you know, player with some upside here. And he's going to be going late on day three. So I, he, he's somebody who wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go to a right, the right scheme and just blow up in camp and eventually earn a starting job on the outside because he does have the ability to start, I think, if going into the right situation. Yeah, he Shamar Jean Charles is a very intriguing prospect because, like you mentioned, from Appalachian State, all right, I really liked his production as well because I believe he had like 30 passes in defense over like and two interceptions over like a two or three year period. So, from that perspective, I think that when we look at him, right, you factor in his production, you factor in just everything that he brings to the table. I think what will happen is this, right, is he's going to be a guy that ends up really being a mid-round steal. And then you look at his measurables as well, right? Yeah, he's 5'11 and just 180. But I think that when I turn on the tape and I've watched him just a couple times over the last like three or four weeks, I've really seen a player that plays much bigger than someone that's 5'11, 180. And so as time continues to pass, you know, he gets the right coaching at the next level. He gets the right type of scheme. I think for a guy like him, the sky's the limit right now in terms of what he can develop into at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And with our sleepers now out there, let's talk about our overhyped prospects. You know, you said, I'll start with you. You have a, a big name prospect here that's gotten a lot of attention in the past, but, um, you know, it looks like you know after this past year, things might be looking a little bit shaky for his draft status. Who's your uh, overhyped player? My overhyped guy is Ohio State Sean Wade. And I understand over the last couple of years Ohio State has sent a lot of solid cornerback talent to the NFL namely Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward as being two names that were drafted in the first round that come to mind at this moment and you look at Sean Wade there was some talk of could Sean Wade potentially be the next big Ohio State cornerback in the NFL and you look at his first couple of years at OSU and you're all like oh my god this is a guy that's a first round talent all right, heading into the 2021 draft process, that was the consensus around Wade is could he be cornerback one? But you ultimately look at it in the limited games that the Big Ten played, Sean Wade struggled. He struggled against teams at times in 2020, especially in the college football playoff. And on the outside is where his biggest struggles came, which for me have led to questions of, is Sean Wade a guy that can only be a slot cornerback at the next level? Which has also led me to think, how is he going to fit in? Because sometimes teams want to be able to move cornerbacks around. And Ohio State cornerbacks, I mean, these guys are known for playing all over the place, right? So with Sean Wade, right, that's kind of what I question. He is going to be a day three pick in my opinion. All right, I just don't see any way that a team is willing to say, you know what, we believe in this guy enough to the point where we're going to pull the trigger on him as a second or third round pick. I mean, you're going to overdraft someone at that point who's ceiling at this point is just a strong slot cornerback, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the best role for Sean Way at the NFL level is probably as a safety nickel corner hybrid type of player where he's going to play, you know, a, a lot of, you know, on early downs, he's playing safety. 
Uh, but on you know third downs or sub packages, you move them up, play in the nickel there to cover tight ends and wide receivers there. Uh, but like you said, just playing on the outside, it was rough at times this past year. You know, somebody who got some first round hype early in the season, uh, was not a good look <laughs> to uh, put it kindly. Um, like you said, I think he's going to be a day three pick. There is some talent there to work with here. He's physical tackler. Um, he played pretty well in the slot uh, when he was just asked to do that um, when they had Okuda and Damon Arnett there, um, you know, in 2019. But yeah, being the number one cornerback there this past year, it, it definitely did not work out for him. Um, so going on to my guy here, my overhyped player here is Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. So Joseph, this is a guy that has recently gotten uh, a lot of buzz as maybe a day two player in this draft class. And, you know, it's very possible he could go that high because the physical tools, the physical ability is there. He has all everything in terms of the height, uh, athleticism, agility, fluidity in his hips, uh, length. He's got a lot of traits to, to build off of here um, that could entice a lot of teams. I think he'd be very good um, as, as a developmental corner in a scheme like, you know, what the Bears are going to be running as a cover four, cover three, where you can use that length and, and use that in zone to kind of mix, mix and match here a little bit. But, man, the consistency or lack thereof, I should say, is maddening on tape. I mean, now to be fair here, when I say this, you know, Kyle Pitts absolutely torched him, you know, all day when they played Florida this past year. And, you know, it's kind of unfair because Kyle Pitts does that to everybody, but it was really bad for Joseph and – I believe there was one point it was kind of reported that he got benched at one point. He was either this past season or the season prior, but uh, you know, he's a guy who's very hot and cool as a player. So I think if you're drafting him on day three to kind of take a chance on his physical tools, maybe we're talking something here because he does have ability, but if you're talking about taking him on day two to be, you know, banking on him to be a starter for you down the line, uh, that might be a bit too rich for me. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely interested in Kelvin Joseph because, like you mentioned, the physical tools are all there. It's just the inconsistencies are what drive you absolutely crazy when you turn on his, when you turn the tape on. And I think that for a guy like him, what's going to happen is this: is that can he develop into a good player down the road? Yeah, but there's going to be two things because players who are inconsistent in this league at any position, what tends to happen is. Good coaching can only take those players so far. So for a guy like Kelvin Joseph, he's just going to have to go ahead and he's legitimately going to have to sit behind a really good cornerback, get himself into a situation where he is coached up by a really good DBs coach, a really good defensive coordinator for him to realize his true potential. So I would say that for someone like him, right, right now all he's going to be is a developmental guy for any team going into 2021. All right, and yeah, he can be a special teams ace because, again, it's just like head coaches have said this in this league, that if you want to make the roster as a rookie, especially a day three rookie, then just perform really well on special teams. So for me, Calvin Joseph's a guy who can start down the road, but right now he's just so limited with all the inconsistencies that exist in his game. Yep, that's where I'm at, at uh, with him at this point. You know, if he's a target on day three potentially for the Bears, I wouldn't be um, – wouldn't be opposed to it, but there is going to be a bit of a uh, developmental curve with him there. All right. That brings us to our final section for uh, today's episode. Speaking of the bears here, and that's going over what their strategy will be to address the quarterback position. You know, like I've said earlier in the podcast, 
Quarterback is a pretty big need for this team right now. Even though they drafted Jalen Johnson last year in the second round and got Kendall Vildor as well, you know, they spent some draft picks at cornerback on day three in the past. We look at Duke Shelley here, but you really look at the state of the roster here. Jalen Johnson is the only long-term starter on the roster right now. You know, Kendall Vildor, he showed some nice flashes. I thought as a rookie, you know, Duke Shelley, I think he's fine as a death piece in the nickel spot, but definitely don't want to rely on him as a starter next year or even longer than that, than that going into the future here as a sixth round pick. And then they signed Desmond Trufant to uh, replace Kyle Fuller, who they released uh, this offseason. You know, Trufant, he's a fine player, but he's a one-year rental. He's an older player. Um, he has trouble staying healthy. So is he even going to be able to play for a full 17 games now with the official announcement that the NFL is going to 17 games here for the regular season? So you look at this thing here, the Bears, they need to add a cornerback in this draft at some point, uh, whether it's on day one, day two, day three. Uh, ideally at least one maybe even two though maybe you want to double dip at the position again if you're Ryan Pace which he's been known to do um, that could be an option there I think they've built up some decent depth here at the position but you know the lack of a true starter um, opposite of Jalen Johnson there really kind of it bugs me a little bit or it has me scared a little bit for this team's uh, future going into next season you know if Sean Desai is as good as we think he will be as a defensive coordinator Maybe he can make up for that a little bit by, you know, scheming things up a little bit. But uh, yeah, quarterback, it's definitely going to be a huge need in this draft because they're going to need to get some more young talent here. Quarterback's interesting because could the Bears take someone at 20? Yeah. But then again, it's just like at that point, you're going to have your long-term quarterback tandem set for the next couple of years in Johnson, whoever your first round pick is going to be. But I really think when you look at this class, you look at how deep it is, the meat of this class, as I like to describe it, is really on day two and day three. And I think that when you look at the Bears, right, that's theoretically where you go ahead and you draft a cornerback because Desmond Trufant, like you mentioned, not a long-term starter. Kendall Wilder and Duke Shelley have a limited amount of upside because, I mean, let's be honest, especially with Duke Shelley. Shelley is a 2019 sixth-round pick. He didn't see the field much in 2019 or 2020. So ultimately with him, you're looking at a guy that can give you some solid play when needed in certain situations. But at the end of the day, is really going to be more so limited to like a special teams and a rotational guy role. Kendall Wilder had some nice plays last year. I think that we're still in the process of seeing what he can become. But if you're the Bears, right, you realize that with the depth that this cornerback class has, the best thing for you to go ahead and do is just take a cornerback with your second or third round pick. Unless, of course, you package one of those two picks up to move up for a quarterback, then you're going to be left in a situation where you don't have a fourth rounder, you have a fifth rounder, right? And then you have three sixth rounders, so you just hope you can find a hidden gem there that is going to give you super cheap play on a cheap contract for the next four years. So ultimately, when I look at the Bears, you know, they're going to have their options. But I would definitely say that take a cornerback in the second or third round because right now it is one of the more significant needs on the roster that we are not looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I think cornerback, uh, it's the one position on the defensive side of the ball where I'm totally fine with the Bears addressing early in this draft. You know, I made it known that I want the Bears to address offense um, early and often in this draft. Um, I don't think that's a secret for anyone that's been following me or my work, but uh you know, I think in the first round, if they're not going with a quarterback here, whether it's training for Russell Wilson or, or training for a quarterback in the draft, I think they're probably going to look to go off the tackle. So off the tackle in the first round, probably off the table there. 
in the second or third round there though i think there is good value to find a guy you mentioned earlier that you think some of these guys we talked about in our top five could end up falling to, to the second round i mean it's possible the bears could be in a prime position to get one of these guys but even if if not i mean you look at some of these guys they're going to be available in the third fourth round if the bears like to say trade back maybe in the second round um, to get some additional draft capital you know i'm looking at guys like paulson and debo out of stanford i think he'd, he'd be a great fit for the bears system as a outside zone corner for them uh ambry thomas he's another guy that i'm a pretty big fan of out of michigan uh thomas graham out of oregon he's a solid slot cornerback to look up at uh day three uh so there are some options here later in this draft where they can address the position and get some good talent there and like you said they have four six-round picks, so it's very possible that they could double-dip then, get a cornerback on day two here, and then maybe get another one, say, like a Shamar Jean Charles again on day three because, again, it's like with pass rushers and with, like, receivers and offensive linemen, really. You can never have too many cornerbacks here because, like I said before, uh, the chance of injury is pretty high compared to other positions um, in the NFL here, so having as many quality corners as possible. You need at least three, ideally four, I think, in the NFL. Um, to survive uh, against some of these high octane passing offenses right now, the bears have one, maybe one and a half. So <laughs> they could definitely use one or even two more bodies here um, with significant draft capital used. They definitely could. And that's why I think when we look at the bears and you just kind of look at draft history, you realize, all right, the last two NFL drafts, 2019 and 2020, you spent a late round pick on a defensive fact then you look at just traditionally right pace is always kind of every year every other year he drafts a defensive back whether it's a safety or a cornerback late as well i mean this was true in 2015 between 2015 and 2018 as well so ultimately we look at it, i think that especially with the four six round picks like you've mentioned the bears will go ahead and they will draft a cornerback here it's just going to be a matter of the how does the board fall and then who do they go ahead and who do they decide to draft and i would even add this little tidbit in there because your guy's sleeper right shamar gene charles i mean he's from appalachian state the bears have shown in the past that they're not afraid to trade up if they believe in a small school prospect i mean look they drafted steven well they didn't necessarily trade up for steven denmark but they facilitated a couple trades prior to steven denmark that allowed them to land steven denmark who went to valdosa state who's no longer on the roster right because he just had all sorts of like injury issues, could never put it all together, but he did have a lot of physical upside. So when I look at it, right, like everyone's going to be looking at cornerbacks from the big schools, like a Bryce Thompson from Tennessee or Shakur Brown from Michigan State or a guy like Cameron Bynum from California, you know, but there's going to be a lot of smaller school guys that Chicago needs to be keeping an eye on that quite frankly do have the makings of being really good hidden gems. Absolutely. Ryan Pace, he's always shown an affinity on day three of the draft to look at those small school guys with athletic profiles that are very favorable. So I, it wouldn't surprise me in the slice to see him go with the small school guy on day three. I mean, that could be an option as well. You know, I would like to see them get a more established player on day two of this draft, for instance, um, because, you know, they're going to need an offensive tackle. They're going to need a quarterback at some point, uh, but maybe they don't take a guy this, in this draft just because, uh, you know, they might just not have the resources to go get a quarterback this year. But uh, they need a wide receiver, though. I mean, there, there are a bunch of options on this on this roster to go here. So, quarterback, it's a glaring need. If they can address that, that would be fantastic. But um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on because you cannot go into a, into next season uh, with 
you know, suboptimal cornerback that that's just not going to work, especially in today's NFL. So if they can figure that out, that would be uh, huge for them going into uh, next season, which is going to be a big year for uh, the entire operation here as a whole. All right. So I think this is a good time then to uh, uh, close off this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast and end things here. You said, uh, where can they find your work and follow you on Twitter, man? Yeah, guys, so you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Coach. You're pretty simple, just my first and last name. Then you can read all my work on the Bear Report. We're recording this on Tuesday, right? I just dropped an article about five teams that the Bears could look to trade up with in the 2021 NFL Draft if they do decide to draft the quarterback, which, disclaimer here, my personal opinion is that they're going to do so. Be sure to check that out. Yep, absolutely. You can find my work at the Bear Report as well and follow me at AJ Freeman 25. Make sure to follow the Picks for Pace podcast on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you know, with the pro days going on here over the next couple of weeks or so, make sure to keep up to date with, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to be posting as many updates as I can on the pro days that I am at. Also keep an eye out for my work on the Bear Report. Uh, we're dropping uh, weekly pro day recap articles on the Bear Report website where we kind of go over uh, some of the general notes and general things that we've gotten from pro days here. I'm um, talking to some of these prospects and uh, seeing them work out a little bit here as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. And speaking of the NFL draft, some exciting news, I think, for their Bear Report and Pace for Pace as a whole. Keep an eye out on the Bear Report YouTube channel and some of our other social media platforms because as the draft approach, we're going to be doing some live streaming, going over some mock drafts and uh, – potentially other things going into the draft here. So make sure to keep an eye out for some of our live streaming here. It's going to be coming up over the next month. It's going to be very exciting getting that started here as the draft approaches here. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we look forward to, as we get close to the draft, to ramp up some of our positional breakdowns and some of our draft content here as things get closer to the draft here. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming here in the next ongoing weeks here. Uh, make sure to keep posted on it here at Pitch for Pace. Thank you for listening on all platforms. Uh, we'll see you next time here, Bears fans, and bear down. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.